Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening each and every time to this Bible Crossfire radio program. I don't think people take that passage seriously that my announcer just read. Second John verse 9, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. I don't think people, including a lot of preachers and most believers, they don't really believe what that verse says. They think all you got to do is believe in Jesus and you'll be saved. But that verse says not only do you have to believe in Jesus, you have to abide in his teaching to have God. And we know you can't be saved without God. The only way we're going to be saved is through the grace and mercy of God. That verse is in there. That verse, 2 John verse 9, is in the Bible just as much as John 3.16 is in there. Yes, John 3.16 teaches you got to believe to be saved. 2 John 9 teaches you got to abide in the teaching of Christ to be saved. So it takes both. Believing in Christ... Of course, if you really believe in Christ, you'll follow his teaching. But many people don't. They say they believe in Christ. They don't have to follow his teaching. They're going to be saved anyway. Second John 9 says you've got to abide in the teaching of Christ to have God, to be saved. If you have a Bible question or comment, we're open to it. The lines are wide open. 877-655-6755. Bible question or comment, you want to get on the air, now's your chance. 877-655-6755. thought tonight we'd talk about a little bit about homosexuality, gay marriage, we might say, and how churches have changed on that through the years, over the last several decades. Let's first talk about what the Bible says about homosexuality. Well, we can find six or eight passages in the Old Testament that condemned it, six or eight passages in the New Testament that condemn it. Let's start with one in the Old Testament. Pretty clear. Leviticus 20, verse 13. If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. This is not talking about two little brothers who have to sleep in the same bed because they don't have enough beds to go around. This is talking about a man lying with another man as he would with a woman sexually. The Old Testament calls it abomination. That word's not normally used for just the minor sins. It's considered a major offense, usually, if it's called an abomination. And what's the penalty if people are caught committing this sin of homosexuality? It says they'll be put to death. Have you ever been caught for speeding? They didn't put you to death, did they? It was considered a minor offense compared to, say, rape or murder, which if you commit rape or murder, you might be put to death. In the Old Testament, if you engaged in homosexual activity, you were put to death. I mean, how would that work in our society today? All the homosexuals put to death. Well, they were during Old Testament times. It was considered a very serious sin or crime. Well, we know we're not under the Old Testament Old Testament law anymore. We're under the New Testament. So what does the New Testament law say about homosexuality? What does the law of Christ say about homosexuality? Let me start reading in Romans 1, verse 24, to start with. It says, wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Now, at this point, we wouldn't know necessarily what Paul is talking about. He just says it's unclean or and it's a way of dishonoring your body. But if we go to 26 and 27, he makes it pretty clear. He says, for this cause, God gave them up to, to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. What's that talking about? Well, that's talking about what we call lesbianism, the women changing the natural use. And then verse 27 says, 
And likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir, which was me. That's talking about what gay men do together. They're leaving the natural use of their woman and burning in their lust one toward another. It's called error, error, vile, dishonor, uncleanness, unseemly. And three times it's called unnatural. Don't let anybody tell you that homosexuals are born that way. The Bible says it's unnatural. You know, I think this is kind of getting a little bit uh, blunt here. But I think we could tell that. We know what they're talking about just by examining the anatomy of a male and a female. I think we would know that homosexual sex, homosex, is not what is intended by just looking at the anatomy of a male and a female. Think about it. We understand what obviously is supposed to happen just by knowing what the body parts are. This is totally unnatural. It's, nobody's born that way. It's because they are have, have got a perverted mind and are uh, committing perverted behavior. <clears throat> anyway, the Bible clearly teaches us a sin, Old Testament and New Testament. But haven't we seen a dramatic change in American society toward accepting homosexuality since about the year maybe 2000? We have, haven't we? If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. Now, we've clearly established that homosexuality is a sin. Old Testament and, of course, most importantly for us today, New Testament condemns it. And I said, though, that we've seen a dramatic change in American society. I think it first changed in Hollywood. They were the first ones to start to accept it. Then the world, and then perhaps in the last couple of decades, even churches started accepting. And I'm going to document that. I'm going to document it because I have these quotes from the Presbyterian Church USA, and I want to read what they say about homosexuality and show how they changed on this issue. First of all, 1978, and I take this quote from the minutes of the 190th General Assembly, which was 1978, of the United Presbyterian Church in the USA. Evidently, they have a conference, I guess, every year, and this is what they put out as their official doctrine after the conference is over. Here's what they said in 1978. Homosexuality is not God's wish for humanity. On the basis of our understanding that the practice of homosexuality is sin, we are concerned that homosexual believers in the observing world should not be left in doubt about the church's mind on this issue during any further period of study. So the Presbyterian Church here in 1978 is staunchly opposed to this practice. They say it's not God's wish for humanity. It's a sin. And we don't want to leave anybody in doubt about what we're saying about this. Pretty clear, 1978, Presbyterian Church USA is against homosexuality. They're saying it's sin, just like what we read in Romans 1, for example. 1980. The minutes of the 192nd General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in the United States, two years later, they say homosexuality presents a particular problem for the church. It seems to be contrary to the teaching of Scripture. Now, I may be reading too much into this word seems, but it appears to me they're starting to rethink their position in 1980. Whereas before in 1978, they said clearly it's a sin. 
It's not God's wish for humanity. And we don't want to leave anybody in doubt about this. Now in 1980, they say it seems to be contrary to the teaching of scripture. Like they're, they're not sure. They say homosexuality presents a particular problem for the church. Well, why did, would it pre- present a problem for the church if they didn't have disagreement on it? But if we're not sure where they stood in 1980, we certainly are in 1991. About Time Magazine said about this Presbyterian Church USA, the church should, quote, reevaluate its definition of sin to reflect the changing mores of society. Mores simply means customs or practices. The church should sound a call for widening the circle of the faithful with gays, lesbians, and heterosexual singles who practice safe sex. We feel that marriage is not what legitimates sexual gratification. So first of all, they're saying now gays, lesbians, and heterosexual singles who practice sex before marriage are okay. It's not a sin. Now, why did they have to say the heterosexual singles who practice safe sex? Because in 1991, there was no such thing as gay marriage. So if they're going to say it's okay for gays and lesbians to have sex, at that time, that would be have to be outside marriage. So to be consistent, they had to say, well, heterosexual singles who practice safe sex outside of marriage, they're okay too. They had to do that to be consistent. But all of us know when we were growing up that it was wrong to have sex, even heterosexual sex before marriage. But this church, to be consistent, is having to change on that too because they're saying it's okay to practice gay and lesbian sex. Huh. You know what's the most disturbing thing about this quote to me? It's where they say the church should, quote, reevaluate its definition of sin to reflect the changing mores of society. Well, the Bible definition for sin is sin is the transgression of the law, God's law, 1 John 3, 4. And that's the way all churches used to define sin, the way the Bible did it. Now they say it's not defined by the Bible, but it's defined by the changing practices, mores of society. So if a 100 years ago, society says homosexuality is a sin, we're going to say it's a sin. But if society now says homosexuality is a sin, it's not a sin, we're going to say it's not a sin. They're going to change based upon society. That's the most disturbing part of that quote. It's getting ridiculous, the changes they're making from what they used to teach and what they're accepting today. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. if you want to get on the air. Now, let's go to 2010. Here's 2010. Presbyterian leaders voted Thursday to allow non-celibate gays in committed relationships to serve as clergy, approving the first of two policy changes that could make their church one of the most gay-friendly major Christian denominations in the U.S. Several major Christian denominations have voted in recent years to allow non-celibate gays to serve as clergy if they're in committed relationships. Among them are the Evangelical Lutheran churches in America. Let's go ahead and take this call. Joe from Mississippi, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, good evening, uh, Patrick. So I just um, I just wanted to comment. Um, you know, it, it's, it's amazing to me that, that, first of all, and I understand we're talking about sin, and then we say sin in the church. Um, I have a hard time even calling it a church. Um, it might be a... 
congregation of people, but when a, a when a body of individuals completely go against the word of God, you know, the Lord said in Malachi, and I think it's in chapter three, I believe verse six or seven, I am the Lord, I change not. That means he is unequivocally unchangeable. He never changes. First uh, John two nineteen reads they went out from us but they were not of us for if they had been of us they would no doubt have continued with us but they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not of us not all of us that's out of the king james so the point is you can say you're a duck and you can quack like a duck but at the end of the day you might not be a duck and i'm not meaning that disrespectfully but just because you call yourself a believer, and you talked about this, and a Christian, and you're you're teaching theology, you're teaching things that are that are that are designed to be conducive to society. That's totally anti-biblical. The, the the word of God is not to to be changed for society, and it's clear. So if these people were truly believers, they would be following the word of God. I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but I'm talking about adamantly following the Word of God within the best ability that they have through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's my comment. Joe, thanks for the call. Appreciate that. I'm pretty much in agreement with what you said. And Joe's right. They probably shouldn't even be called a church if they're in favor of homosexuality. But we know a lot of these big denominations have switched over and start have started accepting homosexuality. But if they can... If they can if it's wrong to accept homosexuality, wouldn't it be wrong to accept divorce and remarriage or infant baptism or women preachers? All those things would would be wrong too. They, we, after all, we were talking about Second John 9. If you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, you don't have God. That doesn't just apply to homosexuality. It applies to all these other things too that churches are compromising on. Mark, go ahead with your Bible question yeah. or comment, please. Hi, yes, thank you. Uh, my question is, Aren't the disciples fallible men? What disciples? You mean the apostles? Yeah, sorry, the apostles. Aren't they fallible men? Well, they were fallible men, but Jesus said, for example, right before he left, he said, I'm going to have to leave. This is right before he died. But so that God can send you a comforter, the Holy Spirit. And in John 16, verse 13, here's what Jesus said would the Holy Spirit would do for him. This, this Holy Spirit that's going to come upon them after Jesus leaves, he says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth. So when the whole, when the apostles and the other New Testament prophets wrote the 27 books of the New Testament, Mark, it was infallible, inerrant. They didn't make any errors because the Holy Spirit, God was telling them the words to write. So they were yeah, fallible men, but they were inspired so that the Bible is, is not, doesn't have any errors in it. Go ahead, Mark. I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry, I totally agree with that. I'm just saying the separation between them themselves as fallible men and Christ, who is perfect. So Christ, the doctrine of Christ, would be his actual teachings. And the disciples' instructional teachings to the churches were more for early pagan um, mores, I guess, of the culture because there's a lot of problems going on in the culture mixed into the church. So they had early baby-like instructions 
to the early Christians. But the doctrine of Christ is really what I'm asking for, is what it's the, the, the actual definition of the doctrine of Christ. Is it yep. his actual teachings, or are you including disciples' teachings to the early baby churches? All 27 books of the New Testament, because he said he would guide them to all the truth. And, for example, 1 Corinthians 14, you'll remember 34 and 35 is where he says it's a shame for women to speak in the church, that a woman to keep silent in the church. So that's what we were talking about, women preachers, a while ago. But in verse 37, right. Paul said, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. So when the apostles and other New Testament prophets wrote these 27 books, it was just as if Jesus was teaching it because it came from God. The Holy Spirit was guiding them into all the truth. So the doctrine of Christ is all 27 books of the New Testament. It's inerrant. Does that make sense, Mark? It, it kind of does. Yeah, I, I agree the, the disciples are Holy Spirit inspired and their teachings and instructions to the early church are correct and truthful. I just can't, I can't separate the fact that if I hear a woman preaching from a pulpit, her testimony about how the gospel saved her, that's a sin. If she's speaking to a congregation on what the glory of God did in her life and giving glory to Christ, that that is a sin. Well, so sin is the transgression of God's law. And I just tried to read to you, but I'll read it again. First Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. This is God's law in the New Testament, not Old Testament, but New Testament. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. So that was the there's the Corinth, correct? That was written, that's written not only to the church at Corinth, but it's written to every Christian everywhere. He says, but he says in verse 2 of chapter 1, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. So that's everybody, all the Christians. Mark, that's God's law on this issue of the women preachers issue. Can women preach from the pulpit? That's God's law on it. And sin is the transgression of the law. Let, let me give you an Old Testament illustration and see what you think, Mark. Back in First Chronicles 13, did, did you see the movie Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones movie? Yes, I did. That was about the Ark of the Covenant. And like any movie like that, it gets one or two facts right and the rest of it's fictitious. But it's about this Ark or box that they were to carry around. And they were never supposed to touch it with human hand. They had It had four rings on the side so that they could put two long poles through there. And that would give them four handles so two or four men could carry that ark around. Never touch it. So here we have in First Chronicles 13, Uzzah, it's the arcs, it's verses 7 through 10. The ark is on, on a, a cart on the back of the oxen. The oxen stumble. Uzzah sees that the ark's about to fall. So he reaches up there and touches that ark to steady it, to keep her from falling. Well, he's probably had probably trying to do something good there, but do you think God was pleased or displeased in that case, Mark? I personally don't think he was displeased, as the, that is the definition of what you're saying. I think um, it was just. He made a okay. law, and it was just for him to kill him because 
his word is true. I don't believe he was displeased. Like, it could have been instinctual. So verse 10 says the anger of the Lord was kindled against Isaiah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. Now, that's in the oh. Old Testament. There's no such thing as the Ark of the Covenant now. It's probably long since been destroyed anyway. The New Testament doesn't tell us either to touch it or not. But here's what we can learn from that story, Mark. When God says not to do something, don't do it, even if you think you're helping God by doing it. And that's the women preachers thing. So Some of these women may be teaching, preaching for the money or for the attention, but i got to believe a lot of them are sincere. That doesn't make it right. They're doing something God told them not to do. God's law is that it's a shame for women to speak in the church. So they're violating okay. God's law. Okay, I understand teaching in the church. But what if a woman was to get up and share her testimony newly saved? Is that a sin? Yes, because if it's in the church service. It's a sin to share the Yes, because it didn't just say a woman is not to preach in the church. I was simplifying it. It says it's a shame for women to speak in the church. So she's not to speak to the assembly. So the I church I worship with, the, the church I worship with, we wouldn't allow that to go on. Because we want, we're not claiming to be perfect, but we're not going to sin on purpose. If a church allows a woman to give up, get up and do a testimony or preach, either one, they're sinning on purpose. They're, I they're allowing a woman. Sharing the, what? I can't reconcile, sorry, I can't reconcile sharing the gospel as a sin. Well, it no matter what gender. Yeah, but, well, the gospel, Mark, you're going by what, and, I, and I'm not criticizing you really here. I'm just pointing out, you're really going by what you think is best. Remember, we don't do that. God's thoughts are way above our thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8, 9. We need to go by what the Bible says, and God says the women are to keep silence in the churches. It's not permitted unto them to speak. It's a shame for women to speak in the church, 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. So going back to your original question, everything in Matthew through Revelation is the law of Christ. It all applies today. Whether we agree with it or not, whether or not we like it or not, the woman, she can share the gospel. So maybe she has a ladies' Bible class at her house and she can share the gospel. That's perfectly fine. But during the church service, it's a shame for women to speak in the church. And that's... God's law on the matter. And if we love God, we'll follow his law. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments, John 14, 15. So if we really love Jesus, then we're going to preach that women should not speak in the church, and we're going to stand for that. And we're not going to let what we think is best get in the way of that. Like, I mean, we have all these gay churches out here, and I'm talking to Mark and everybody else. They think that that it's bad to say that being a homosexual, that's a sin. <laughs> but it doesn't really matter what they think. That's their own human reasoning. We read in Romans 1, the Bible clearly says it's a sin. Churches don't have the right to allow gays to be considered faithful members, to allow gay preachers uh, to perform gay wedding ceremonies. That goes against God's law. It doesn't matter how much they think it's right. Our first caller made that point very clear. If they're going against God's law, they're going against the doctrine of Christ, 2 John 9, they're not going to have God. Same thing with women preachers. If a church is allowing women to preach from the pulpit or doing testimonies like Mark was bringing up, it's going against God's law. They're not abiding in the teaching of Christ. So they don't have God. 
And they can't be saved if they don't have God, that's for sure. We're going to have to go off the air in about a minute. We appreciate those two good calls and encourage you to listen next week at the same time. But if you would like to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience, free one-hour phone Bible study sometime with me at your convenience, I want you to call or text me at 256-682-9753, Call or text me and we'll figure out a time that's good for you to do a one-hour free one hour free Bible study. Appreciate you listening tonight. Appreciate those good calls. Be sure and listen next week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. And of course, we're going to emphasize again next week, Second John 9, that we have to abide in the doctrine of Christ to have God.